Hi, and welcome to Macrina's Key, the podcast where we talk about theology for every single season of life. I'm your host, Sarah Evans. Every fortnight, we discuss systematic theology in bite-sized portions. And along the way, we're learning to see and know God in every season of life, whether we're in the spotlight, on the edge, or being faithful in the mundane. I'm so excited to have you with us. Let's get started. friends and welcome back. I first off want to apologize just for my total inconsistency over the past few months since we have had um, a baby and I have not been consistent about getting episodes up here for y'all. And I am really sorry about that. Excuse me. I appreciate, uh, you know, the encouragement I've had from some of you about taking it easy and getting into a new rhythm. And that is definitely what we are trying to do. Um, I think, other than finishing my PhD, this is probably one of the busiest times in our lives. Um, and it's just busy in a really different and unique way. Um, we have three kiddos now, one of whom is homeschooling, one of whom is in the terrible twos, and one is a newborn infant who requires a lot of care and hands-on attention, right? And then on top of that, I'm teaching two classes. I'm prepping for next semester um, and trying to run a podcast. So there is just a lot that is going on. And I am so sorry that this is kind of the thing that drops sometimes and that I am unable to keep up with consistently. We're really working as a family to try to figure out how to make time for this a bit more consistently. Um, And I'm hopeful that we will figure that out and have a bit more of a plan in the next several weeks or months um, to come. Um, But in the meantime, here is another episode. So last time we talked a lot about creation and uh, a kind of natural question I think can be, what follows up on creation? So we've talked about God, the Trinity. We've talked about um, theological method. What is theology? Different ways of doing it. And then we talked about creation, God as creator, what our relationship with God is through creation, etc. And so it is kind of um, a natural question, I think, to wonder, where do we go from here? Well, I think uh, the natural place to go is to talk about revelation. I think this is um, a pretty consistent, or consistent is not the best word, a pretty um, congruent kind of follow-up to what we talk about in creation. So creation is related um, to revelation because creation is one of the ways um, and one of the places and means by which God reveals himself to us. So that's one way in which this is a kind of um, easy and natural follow-up to what we talked about last time. Another way um, in which the two are related is that when we think about creation and the created order, we think about um us humans as being creatures, we are the people who God has created and enters into a special and specific kind of relationship. And the created order, the universe, the cosmos is the place in which we get to interact with God. It's the place in which he comes to us in relationship. So God, um, comes down to us. He draws near to us in creation. 
He does not um, expect us to ascend to him. Rather, he creates a place, a space, a locale, and then he places us within that. And then he enters into that locale in order to enter into relationship with us, right? We see this in the Genesis narratives. We see this even in Genesis 3 after the fall, that God comes to Adam and Eve. He enters into that space in the garden in order to know them and be known by them, right? And of course, when I say to know them, that isn't to say that God was lacking in some kind of knowledge about Adam and Eve, but to know is to love. And so to know, to come into relationship with them and to continue the relationship with them that he had begun at creation. And so it's a very kind of natural, um, sort of agreement in a sense between creation, the created order, what we know about who God is in light of his work in creation, and then moving on to how God reveals himself. So that is kind of where we're going today. And that is what we'll be talking about. So with that kind of introduction and connection to our last episode, let's get started. Today, um, the specific kind of revelation that we were talking about is general revelation or universal revelation. Now, general revelation is one of two ways that we have to talk about revelation or one of two categories within what we mean by revelation. So we have general or universal revelation, and then we have specific or particular revelation. These both are talking about different ways in which God reveals himself to humanity. There are different means by which God does so, and there's a different sort of level of accessibility or availability um, to the ways in which God reveals himself. And that has to do with how those two categories are named. I do want to give the caveat that though these are not perfect categories, these are not like perfect systems for um, analyzing the ways in which God know, uh, makes himself known to us or the ways in which we come to know about God. But these are the two most common ways of talking about that. And so that's why I'm going to go with them today. Um, these are historically quite common categories and quite typical, and um, they're really easy and accessible in terms of understanding which one is which and what goes with which. So that's why I'm using them. I just had a conversation with another uh, colleague um, earlier this week, and he was like, I really dislike those categories. And I thought, that's great. I can see why there are limitations to that, but he didn't have a great um, alternative kind of paradigm. And so it's like, well, if we don't have a good al- alternative, this is what we're going to go with. This is good enough for now. That's kind of what we're doing today. So today we're going to talk about general revelation, but a couple of quick notes on what revelation is in general. So revelation When we talk about that, a lot of times people think of Revelation, the book in the Bible. We think about something like Left Behind. And in a sense, there's kind of um, a nice corollary there. Uh, The Greek for um, the word that we come to know as Revelation in terms of the book of the Bible is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis or apocalyptic, um, we now in English think of that as being something um, disastrous, right? This It's a post-apocalyptic movie might be a phrase you've heard, right? So there is an apocalypse. There is a huge dramatic overturning of the world in the way that it is or the way that it functions, and the movie takes place after that. And so it's post-apocalyptic. 
So we often has, have this sense of like violence or um, drama um, when we hear the word apocalypse or apocalyptic. On the one hand, that actually kind of fits when we're talking about revelation. Apocalypsis in Greek means unveiling or disclosure or an uncovering or an unveiling. And so there is kind of a nice sense in which there's a dramatic overturning of our understanding of the world when God reveals himself to us, right? When he makes himself known to us, that changes everything. It shifts and it reshapes how we know him, how we know the universe, how we know anything, right? And so there is a sense in which that drama does kind of fit here. But generally speaking, apocalypsis or revelation is this idea of unveiling or disclosure. It's the idea that God um, pulls back the veil between, um, you might say, between natural and supernatural. That's not exactly the best way to put it. But he pulls back the veil on who he is so that we can catch a glimpse, so that we can see him. It's his self-disclosure. That's what we talk about. God's self-revelation. He is the one who chooses to reveal himself to us. This isn't something we get to um, demand or curry um, like favor or merit. This isn't something we get to um, strip away the veil ourselves and come into our knowledge of God. This is something that he does of his own initiative. In fact, it's critically important that we keep in mind God is the one who's revealing himself to us because this helps us to hold intention that God is both imminent, he's near to us, but he's also transcendent. He is totally and utterly other than we are. And so because of God's transcendence, his invisibility, his hiddenness, um, the sent, the real, excuse me, the reality of God being, um, spirit, there are limitations on our ability to know God. And so God is the one who overcomes those limitations and makes himself available to us, right? And so uh, this idea of self-revelation is important in light of who we have already talked about God is in his attributes and who he is in himself. It's also important for us to keep in mind that it's on God's initiative because of this gulf that exists between humans and God. Humanity is finite even before the fall. We're limited creatures, right? We have limitations. Um, we are not God. We are not infinite. And so there's this sense in which God has to overcome that gulf or that gap between us and him. He takes the initiative to come to us. Knowledge of his person, of his will, those kinds of things can't be grasped by a deductive reasoning or intuition. Instead, God is the one who makes those things available for us to know. He makes himself available for us to know. He is the one who enters into our space so that we might know him. Because without him, without his work, without his self-revelation, we would be totally and utterly lost and unaware. Um, there's also, so that's kind of like the necessity of God doing self-revelation and why revelation is important for us. There's also just in a sense, like the very kind of general fact of divine revelation. God has done it. God has made himself known. He is, uh, the revealing God, uh, the one who reveals himself rather than simply hiding himself, right? So we can see that in Amos 4, in 1 Corinthians 2, um, 
Francis Schaeffer had this book about um, he is there and he is not silent. And so this idea that God speaks, that's just a fact of reality. He has spoken to us. He has made himself available to be known. And then the question is, are we going to respond to that? And how will we respond to that? Um, It is his grace and his mercy that he wants to be known by us. And so he generously and lavishly enters into a relationship with us by um, making himself known. There are a variety of um, different ways in which God makes himself known. So kind of coming back to those two different categories, there's universal or general revelation, and then there's specific or particular revelation. And so there are a variety of means by which God um, reveals who he is and tells us about himself. Uh we're this week with general revelation, the kind of definition to keep in mind is that general revelation is knowledge of God, which is available to all people in all places and at all times. There are no caveats on that. There uh, is no kind of hidden entrance fee for that. Um, it's not a question of literacy or geographic location or, um, knowledge of history or of the Jewish people, um, those are not prerequisites for general revelation. General revelation is generally and universally available to all people at all times and in all places. Um, different modes within general revelation or that might be included within general revelation. Well, the first one that is the most common and that we think about most frequently, of course, is creation, right? So the created order, there are a variety of things that we can know about God simply from looking around at the world. For instance, we might say that there is a creator, right? There are things that uh, are in existence that wouldn't otherwise be here. So God is a creator. God is creative. There's also a sense in which we might see God's power be manifest in the created order, right? Through something like a storm or through looking upon mountains and their grandiose um, stature. We might Realize that the one who made these things is powerful. The one who is above and who controls the storms, he has incredible great power. We might also say that God is logical or rational, right? God has created uh, seasons and order to things, right? And it goes through the same cycle every single year. There's a logical progression. There's logical progression in math. Um, one plus one is always two. Like we just can't get around that. So there's a sense in which uh, God has patterns and rhythms and he is logical and um, he has woven that into the universe in order to reveal who he is, right? There's also um, a sense in which God is rational and we can see that by looking around at humanity, for the most part. <laughs> of course, some of us might look around in certain times and places and say, I'm not sure that humanity is actually rational. But, you know, if we take it very broadly and generally, humanity uh, creates societies, right? And so humanity reveals that God is rational and logical um, because we reflect that as well, right? So the one who created us, um, thus must also be similar in that way. 
There's also, um, I mean, you can look at beauty in the world and think about how God is is an artist. God is creative. So he's not just creator, but he is also creative, right? And if you look at the animal kingdom and some of the bizarre, weird animals that are out there, um, we can say that God has a sense of humor, a sense of delight and a sense of, um, playfulness with some of the things that he has done in creation or that he has allowed to come to be in creation. Right. And so there's this real sense in which creation, the created order, makes God's, um, makes knowledge of God available to us. And that's something that's available to all persons at all times and in all places, different forms, of course. Right. So a Pacific Islander who is not going to have mountains like we have in the Himalayas is going to experience God and creation in a different way. And yet there is still a sense in which that type of revelation is available to both persons, someone in the Himalayas and someone in a Pacific Island. Um, it's just going to look a little bit different and their interpretation of that might look a little bit different, but it's still there. There, um, are all, there's also a sense in which, um, our kind of psychological awareness. So we all have, a, we might say a longing or a desire for, uh, worship, right? Uh, that would be a way in which God has revealed his existence to humanity. Um, I don't know if you, any of you grew up watching, uh, oh gosh, what was it called? The Donut Man. Um, man, I used to love those movies. That's <laughs> so funny to think about. But there's, uh, they talk about there being a hole in the middle of your heart and it's, you know, they like have a donut in their hands and it has the hole in the middle of the donut, right? And so the idea that in the same way, we all have a God-shaped hole in the middle of our heart, that kind of psychological awareness. Now, some people will want to argue against that today. I think especially in the modern West, um, people will say, I don't have a desire for God. I don't feel a need for God. Um, but historically, all societies, we haven't re I am not aware of any atheist society um, prior to the Enlightenment, right? Historically, all of humanity has devised some kind of religious system that involves some kind of God-like figure, God or God-like, or a variety of gods, you know? And so there's a sense in which we aren't homo sapiens, we are more like homo adorans, um, homo adorans or homo liturgis and this idea that we, uh, as humans worship or we are liturgical, we are being shaped into worship of something, right? So we're always adoring something might not be the right thing, but it's still there. Um, and so that kind of religious underlying, um, issue, uh, can it create an awareness for God. And so we would say that that's another way in which God has revealed himself to us. There's also um, historical events. Sometimes people will put that under general revelation. I actually think it fits better under special revelation um, to look at specific historical events and to see how God is interacting there. But you have to know the historical events. And you have to think of God as being involved in those. So I think that's more of a particular um, expression of revelation, of God's self-revelation. Um, so another place would be something like human culture. Um, most human cultures have had similar justice systems and very broad 
ways, right? So generally speaking, we have always agreed that murder is wrong and that theft is wrong. Um, I can think of a couple of exceptions to that. Uh, There are some indigenous tribes in mm, Indonesia that have um, a high value placed on betrayal and trickery. And so, of course, they don't fit that mold, right? Um, But there's a sense in which, for the most part, we have similar justice systems. And that stretches across all of human culture. Um, Though the penalties and the ways in which we enact that justice system is going to be different across the board, uh, there still exists this kind of underlying rule, this underlying kind of plumb line, you might say. And that speaks to us of who God is, right? Um, We would say that God is just, um, in, in line with that experience in human culture. Uh, there's also the idea of, um, uh, you know, that plumb line in humanity and, um, the idea that we know right from wrong, or we know eternity, or we know that there are problems, all these different things that we like sense within ourselves suggest that there's something outside of us that we are being drawn towards, right? So there is something that tells us when a crooked line is crooked rather than straight. Um, There is something that tells us we are responsible to a higher moral being or a religious object. And so this kind of human experience, what does it mean to be human, um, suggests something about who God is. I think there's also... um, you could say along those lines, the experience of the soul, right? So I think, of course, we live in our bodies and our body is remarkably important. But I think there are times in which it is very clear to each one of us that we are not just our bodies, right? Um, That maybe we even at times feel at war with our bodies, whether that's due to sickness or um, as Christians, some kind of sin issue, we might feel sort of separate from or distinct from the bodies that we're inhabiting. Well, that idea then, of course, is sort of a psychological awareness of the soul or the fact that we are more than just bodies. Well, that suggests that there's something more than just physical reality, which might in turn suggest that there is God, there's a divine transcendent being. So there are all of these different things that are pointing us towards uh, God, that are pointing us towards a uh, understanding or an awareness of the broader kind of um, transcendent reality, the supernatural reality that overlays all of nature. Um, it if we want to use that kind of distinction and language. And so there's a real sense um, in which God has made himself manifest through a variety of means that are available to all people in all times. And that's what we call general revelation. There are some limitations with general revelation that are really important to note. And that's kind of where I'm going to end. Um, And then I'm going to sort of tease towards special revelation for next time. But general revelation... Um, we've seen how it is very broad. It's very kind of overarching, right? God exists and God is powerful, but we don't know that God's name. We don't know who he is based on looking at the mountains. We don't know the purpose of life in that God's um, system simply by acknowledging that humanity is rational, right? And so there, there are real limitations on what general revelation can offer to us. 
And that is why as Christians, we would say general revelation is sufficient to hold us accountable to God, right? Romans 1 is pretty clear that there's no one um, who is without some level of responsibility towards what has been made manifest in the created order and other means. And yet that kind of revelation is simply not sufficient to bring us into a proper intimate relationship with God himself, right? There's no mention of Jesus simply by watching monsoon season come again year after year. We aren't going to have um, an understanding of the need for salvation simply by acknowledging that the seasons come year after year or that human culture has a variety of shared experiences or by recognizing that I long for something outside of myself, but I don't know what that something is if no one has told me, right? And so there's a real gap there in terms of what general revelation can make manifest to us and what we need to have made manifest to us. And so general revelation has that kind of limitation. It it prepares, it opens the door, it sets the foundation, but it can't get past that really. We can know God exists. We might know that we need him, that might that need might be a very general kind of need um, in terms of providing for us, right? Sustaining the universe, giving us the breath of life, but we can't get to our salvific need, right? And so there's this limitation of what is going to be known purely by general revelation. Most theologians will argue, based on that limitation, that general general revelation is insufficient for a salvific relationship with God. This is because we, if we are saved only by the name of Jesus, then we need to actually know who Jesus is and be in relationship with him. And so we have to have something that adds on to the foundation, that builds on the foundation of general revelation. And that is what we call special revelation. Um, That is what we are going to talk about next week. Um, It's worthwhile to note, as we talk about general revelation, that there are some theologians who vehemently reject any possibility of general revelation. And we'll talk about why that is next week when we discuss special revelation in a little bit more detail. And we'll talk about Karl Barth in particular. But here, I want to end on a sort of hopeful note. Though general revelation is um, limited, though it is um, doesn't have the capacity for bringing us into relationship with God. It's important to note that God does make himself known and available and disclosed in the universe in order to build towards that relationship with us. So God makes space for us, and then he reveals himself to us in the created order because he wants to be in relationship with us. God, in a sense, is drawing near to his creation. That is evidence, like I said, in Genesis, God sees creation as being good. And so he, because of that, because of his desire to be in relationship, he enters into it. So 
we see that general revelation, though it has limits, it is still the basis for a genuine relationship with God. It's going to build that foundation out so that then when special revelation comes along, we have um, kind of a framework for it and can understand how it answers the questions that might have been sparked by general revelation. And so we should always keep in mind that the ultimate purpose of any kind of revelation is our knowledge of God so that we might be in relationship with him. In fact, revelation isn't intended to be facts and it's not intended to even be purely abstract knowledge. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ultimately, revelation is Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate instance of revelation. He is the truth. He is God's greatest self-disclosure. And so I think if we keep that at the forefront of our minds, it helps us to recognize the importance of general revelation in terms of providing a framework and pushing us on to be prepared to accept special revelation when it arrives. And it also reminds us that every form of revelation is so that we might know and enter into a relationship with the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Ultimately, that is the uh, necessity, the importance, and the role of creation, right? Creation, like I said at the beginning, is the space in which we enter into a relationship with God by His drawing near to us. There's an inherent goodness of creation um, because God created it and because of the purposes for which He created it. And there's uh, an inherent uh, relational aspect within humanity that we are created in His image in order to know, explore, and be in relationship with Him. And even after the fall, Creation continues to speak to us of who God is. And even after the fall, even after our deep descent into sin, God is intent on revealing himself to us so that we might know him, so that we might be reconciled to him. I think that's an important framework for us as we move forward into special revelation next time. I'm looking forward to talking about that. If you have any questions or you um, need some clarification on something I've said, or you have questions about perhaps a topic you want to hear me discuss at a later date, please do uh, get in touch. There's a contact form on the website, macrinaskey.com. There's also an email that you can just send me an email at this account. It's macrinaskey at gmail.com. I love hearing from listeners and I would love to hear from you. So please get in touch. And if you have time and you enjoy what you have heard here, please leave us a review because that is really helpful in getting the word out about this podcast. And that is ultimately my goal is to get the word out, the word of God, the gospel, so that people might be enriched in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks, friends. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of Macrina's Key. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps others find the podcast. And that's the goal here at Macrina's Key, to share the gospel and make theological education available for the benefit of the church in every season. If you want to get in touch, 
head on over to the website, macrinaskey.com. You can also check out the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash macrinaskey. There you'll find exclusive episodes and materials for members. I love hearing from listeners, so please sing out and get in touch. Until next time, God's grace and peace to you.